0: Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. It's prospect season at Baseball America. We mm-hmm. took a little took a little break uh, after the World Series podcast-wise, but expect to be a little more consistent here uh, as we get through the holidays and get through prospect season. Prospect Handbook goes to press uh, in a, just about a month, J.J., so one month with the Thanksgiving holiday thrown in there to finish the book to write up the 900 scouting reports. But the top tens are starting on BaseballAmerica.com, dot com, and uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, our fans have expressed, our readers have expressed their passion for our lists already. As we've completed the American League East, and we're on to the American League Central, and we're going to talk American League East. We can touch on the American League Central since I did the Twins and JJ did the Royals. But we'll probably have uh, another we'll probably podcast. Focus, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have a,
1: another podcast focusing on that coming up.
0: Yeah, we're going to focus a little bit more on the American League East this time, reviewing the top tens that were. And uh, JJ, one thing we've already, like I said, uh, I just hinted at uh, some controversial rankings. If the blogosphere is to be judged, uh, if I, and, I and the, the chatosphere, that that's right, that's right. On the our Chattis- own
1: site, we've seen on the chatosphere there's been a, yeah, uh, well, the
0: comments are back. Uh, we had some technical issues with our comments at BaseballAmerica.com uh, this this uh, summer, basically during baseball season. But the comments are back now, timing, but which is not bad actually. It's actually not bad to have it back for this time of year because this is really when. There's the times we're trying to report. These are actually more opinionated uh, things we're doing here. But uh, let's just jump right into the American League East. I mean, the, obviously the American League East is a pretty fascinating division. I think that the best team in the American League East still has the best farm system in the American League East, and that's the Rays. Um, and not just because they still have David Price, but the Rays have got young pitching. They still have athletes. They have up-the-middle guys, a couple shortstops in their top five with Tim Beckham and Reed Brignac. Um, they have guys in the upper levels. They have guys in the lower levels. Their top ten is really a a, a nice uh, portfolio of different kinds of players. JJ, I think I, I like their talent best. I also like how that talent is spread throughout their system. They're not the number one farm system anymore, but I think they're the top farm system in the American League East well, still.
1: And having the prospectively, the number one prospect in all of baseball doesn't hurt. I mean, they, if, if David Price is not going to be number one, I promise you he will be not for further... He well, got
0: one and two right here in this division, in my mind, in right. Price and Wieners.
1: Right. It's going to be one or the other. I think and so. And so, you know, at worst, he's number two. And the reality of it is is that and the Rays are in a great situation. They have a starting pitcher who you look at and say, okay, this guy's ready. You nope. know, like, I mean, at worst, he's— an April May tune up away right, right. from being in your rotation, and the reality is, is when he's ready for the rotation. Well, you know, then they've got you know someone unless someone gets hurt, they've got to move someone along because they already have five guys, and then you have sitting at number ten, you have Jeff Neiman who is about as ready as a minor league pitcher can be, right, right. But the reality of it is, is he'll probably never. You know, be a starter for the Rays, barring it's, injury.
0: It's hard to see him being a a contributing, consistent member of the Tampa rotation because he's like seventh, maybe eighth in the pecking order. I mean, they got the big five, five big league starters, plus Price, plus Mitch Talbot might be ahead of him in the organization because he can actually relieve more effectively than Jeff Neiman can. And I think Neiman's ahead of him as a starter, but and he threw 149 innings. that's, so not, that's a career And high. that's not
1: counting Wade Davis.
0: That's not counting Wade Davis. That's Who's, eight.
1: <laughs> he might be 8th or ninth in the betting and order. let's go, let, say at the end of next year, I mean, there's some questions, Jeremy Helkson, you know, as far as, okay, will his advanced approach mean that he kind of, his stuff is good, but, right. you know, not blow you away David Price stuff. But by the end of the year, he could be ahead of Neiman also yeah. and ready for the big leagues.
0: I thought that would be actually a good way to approach the, the top 10s as we were just th- sitting here talking about it off air, air quotes. Uh, John McCain air quotes done in there, but uh, on air to maybe attack it as, let's look at the most controversial guy in each top ten. And I think Jeremy Hellickson is one that you and I also have talked about during the year, and mm-hmm. you did the Florida State League top ten, so you can really talk, I think, about Jeremy Hellickson. But he's at eight, and uh, that seemed to engender some controversy right. o- online. And I, I like the placement of him at eight, because I love Nick Barnese, and I love Matt Moore ahead of him. As young, but much I, both those guys have significantly more upside in my mind than Jeremy Hellickson does.
1: It, it's always that balance. I mean, and when we yeah. rank these, let's you know explain right away. Yeah. The balance we're trying to strike is: you're looking for upside. You're looking for okay, five, ten years from now, which right. guy are you going to look back and say? That guy was, you know, you, you want to find stars. Stars are much more important.
0: You want to find stars and balance that with likely big leagues. But you also
1: yeah. don't want to have the guy that you look back 10 years from now and go, man, that guy never made it above AA, right. and why did we pick that guy?
0: Like Breed, Reed Brignac at number four. I think a couple years ago we thought Reed Brignac, when he was in the Cal League, looked like he could be a star. Now, now I think we think he's going to be basically a better hitting left-handed hitting version of Jason Bartlett. He's not going to be a star. Jason Bartlett's a below-average offensive player. I think that Reed Brunak will be a solid average big league offensive player because he does have real power from the left side. I mean, it's not above-average power. We got a solid average, if not a tick right. above, power. He was leading the International League as a 22-year-old in doubles at the time he was promoted to the big leagues. He went 0-for-10. His confidence was really not very good when he came back down. He also had a wrist injury that cut off the last month of his season. But he's at 4 I don't think he's going to be necessarily a big league star like Matt Moore could be. There's even a chance Jeremy Hellickson could be, but let's talk a little bit about Hellickson, JJ, because what, so, what his placement here is we could have definitely been more aggressive with you him. could I mean,
1: you could, you could argue Jeremy Hellickson. If you wanted to, you could argue Jeremy Hellickson four on this list. You could, absolutely. I, mean, you could. I don't think anyone could argue you put him above Wade Davis. You yeah, go, I would not put him above Wade Davis. No, no one would probably argue that, but you could argue you've got – You know, if if you don't have it in your top 10 in front of you, you know, while you're listening to this, you got Reed Brignac, four. You got Desmond Jennings, five. You got Matt Moore, six. You got Nick Barney, seven. You could argue four. The reasons, I mean, the hesitation with Helixon is not, I mean, statistically, he had a very good year, especially he was absolutely dominant when he was in high A. When he went up to double A, he was very good. I mean, he got hit a little bit more. Gave up – I mean, the one big concern statistically was gave up a ton of homers.
0: Yeah, the strike out of the walk is unimpeachable. I mean, it's 8-1 to one, basically, 120 Oh, and, to, and from to talking 20. to
1: scouts, you know, that we've talked to from talking to managers who mm-hmm. saw him in the different leagues, his command is, you know, he, he has some of the best command that you will see in the minors. That's what know, it right? sounds
0: like. that's I mean, and he's, and he's also got good stuff. I mean, he's not just a pitchability guy. He's a pitchability guy with some stuff. It sounds like it's actually a little bit less pitchability though than you would think. Right, it's he throws a lot of strikes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he has a great feel for setting up hitters, a great feel for pitch sequencing, maybe, and that he's prone to elevating the ball. And that's that's that the one a lot to a me. Six that foot six foot one right hand pitchers.
1: To me, that's the the big concern yeah. is that you know the concern is okay. His stuff is, it, and let's make it clear, his stuff's good. I mean, we're not talking about. 88 89 you know with a below average breaking ball you know we're not talking about that kind of guy we're talking about really more 91 92 93 he'll run it up there a little bit more than that at times but that's really kind of where it sits and the concern is though is is okay if you if you're pitching like that up in the zone that's the kind of i mean those guys a lot of times have a little trouble i mean the guy i think of now he was lefty but I covered, you know, the before I came to Baseball America, I covered the, the Braves system mm-hmm. for a couple of years, for several years for a newspaper. And Bruce Chen was a guy hmm. who had a good fastball. I mean, not 97 or anything, right, but right. a very good fastball. Thought, you know, had several pitches, but he liked to pitch up in the zone. Gave up a lot of homers in the minor leagues. And when he got to the big leagues, you know, and I'm not saying that I think Jeremy right, Hell can right. be better than Bruce Chen. Right. But there is an adjustment period, especially if you like pitching up in the zone, because... Big leaguers hit ninety three mile hour fastballs. Big yeah, leaguers hit ninety seven mile an hour fastballs. You know? Yeah,
0: you just can't get away with as much. And that, I think that's the big question for Helixson is that he's not when he does. He's not getting away with a lot in the minor leagues. When he's missing, when he's making mistakes, he's getting punished. That's the thing about the twenty two home runs given up. Uh, that that scares me a little bit. And again, we've also talked to I me. Mean, I know I've talked to at least one scout who's. Not necessarily high again on his kind of his pitching IQ, for lack of a better. word. Although way. I've heard,
1: and I've heard different reports are, on that. I, are, I, I, you know, I talked to uh, maybe
0: it's more of like an aptitude, right, but Kind of I, question that that scout. I had. did right.
1: I did talk to some guys in the FSL though who who thought, you know, no. I mean, you know, we're impressed. I mean, especially the thing that really jumps out is at high A, and this is why he dominated high A. Yeah, there aren't a whole lot of pitchers at high A who feel comfortable, whether it's. You know, 0-0, 0-2, or three oh throwing all their pitches.
0: Yeah. That, and that's, and he Hellickson
1: great has player. that comfort level. And if you can do that at high A, you're gonna dominate.
0: I think it's really uh and the thing is, you know, also one caveat to go too much into the stats, Vero Beach is really a hitter's a home run ballpark in the context of a real pitcher's league. It almost stands out even more. So And and one other thing it was to think of with that, a home runs that really concerned But me. but
1: he, one thing with that is it's fine and I haven't really I've have you I haven't studied this? It did seem like this year, though, just on first glance, that Montgomery also was prone for home runs. Like, if you look, I mean, the thing that jumped out for me is David Price. Yeah, give some David us. David give up any homers in high A? Didn't give up any homers in Triple A. Gave up one homer in the majors, but then in 57 innings in Montgomery, seven home runs. Yeah, no, you're right. I so I, I, you know, I do also think that there, you know, that may play a little part of that. But,
0: well, that's that, that, to me, I was kind of a lightning rod, in that organization's a top ten. Uh, we could just go to Toronto. We go to Boston. Where do you want to go? Well, to let's do, well
1: Let's try. What we were talking about. Okay, so we think that the Rays have the best farm system in the AL East. at least ten. We're going to right now stick to the ten. Yeah, best ten. Because at least. you know we're still putting together. I mean, I'll be honest. We you know we're still you know we yeah. haven't all had a chance to sit down and look at everyone's Correct. top thirty. You know, in the depth chart or anything. But so who do you think has the number two farm system in the?
0: That's a good question because uh, number two top ten I would not say Boston. Uh, I would have said I think Boston has a number two farm system in the division. I, I might say in terms of top ten it might be Toronto. I like Toronto's top
1: ten. And I say I could even I'll try to, I could make the argument for Baltimore even.
0: I think Baltimore has the best uh, one through four.
1: That th- 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 and that's the reason. Yeah. You know I mean we've always said that we would yeah you would prefer to have star potential to depth right Uh, and there is some concern about i mean there's some guys there
0: was one more hitter that baltimore had that i really 100 percent bought because i I do like nolan Reimold. i don't 100 percent buy nolan and and there's
1: and there are concerns like yeah you go basically the hitters beyond when you get past matt weeders in the orioles list the hitters are nolan Reimold, billy rowell and brandon snyder and there are concerns there i mean matt weeders is about as the fewest concerns you can have about a minor league hitter. Pretty much. There are definitely legitimate reasons for concern for everyone else in the Orioles. But 1-4
0: with Matt Weeders at 1, Chris Tillman 2, Brian Mattis 3, Jake Arrieta 4. That's an outstanding top four. And it's really... You know, it's hard be- to
1: find. You, you won't find many top fours this year as we rank them that are going to match up with that one.
0: I agree. I mean, like, Jake Arrieta is only in high A and all that kind of thing. But he did pitch in the Olympics. He's got big time stuff. Uh, college pitcher with some polish. Uh, he's still only 22 years old. He's got uh, a lot of good things going for him. Brian Mattis hasn't made his debut in a full season league yet, but he is in in a fall league, and he's certainly not embarrassing himself out there. He's been he's been pretty solid. Chris Tillman, youngest guy in the Eastern League, basically. And Thank I, I just you, think a
1: Seattle Mariners. Team. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that top four.
1: And Matt Weeders, as we said, is at worst he's number two in the, you know, probably in the uh, top 100 when we roll it out.
0: The thing I like about Toronto's list is, uh, again, Toronto's got – well, first of all, they have a – I just like the variety they have. They have some left-handed pitching. Uh, actually, they don't even have a right-handed pitcher in their top ten. They have a lot of left-handed pitching. They have some left-handed power bats. have some right-handed power bats. Some guys who are close to the big leagues, like a Travis Snyder, who's already in the majors, obviously. Uh, Brett Cecil, who had success, double-A AA and triple-A. And they have some guys uh, down the line, a little bit lower levels. Uh, and I, I also confess a secret uh, Brad Mills uh, man crush, prospect crush. Yeah, I see, Loved him in Arizona in the draft, and uh, really like him as a pro uh, this season see, he had. See, you know,
1: the argument I make for the Orioles over the Blue, J- and I, I do think I think the Blue Jays list is much improved over what it was a couple of years ago. Um, but if I was knocking it, you know, comparing it to the uh, to the, the Orioles, Orioles the, the Orioles top four is definitely strong, and we said yeah, no you know doubt. there's no doubt about that. But you also have in the in the Blue Jays list, you have some guys who there are some legitimate, you know, like Ricky Romero's number eight. You know, Ricky Romero, who forever will be trying to, yeah, you know, just don't remind me that I was, you know, a, a high first round pick. You know, please, you know, don't don't remind everyone who could have been drafted in front of yeah, me. Exactly. You know, oh, do you need a shortstop? Right. <laughs> um, but that being said, like you know, Ricky Romero is at, at this point. I mean. There's a lot of questions there about whether, okay, you know, is he taking – is that a step forward, or is he – He's
0: still got big-time stuff, though. I guess maybe I just have blind faith in his stuff. His stuff has not diminished. It's always been kind of a command issue for him.
1: But to me is is that when you talk about – I mean, he's now – you know, he'll be pitching next year all year at 24. Not that you can't sharpen your command. But he's had several years here, and the command hasn't become, you know, hasn't gotten a whole lot better.
0: I don't disagree. No, there are serious questions about him, but I, I'd take him over Brandon Snyder in a heartbeat. I'd take him over – I mean, I, I might even take him over Brandon Irby. Brandon Irby's got a pretty high upside. He's number six on the Orioles' system. I mean, Troy Patton, number eight, didn't even pitch this year. And I mean – Romero's stuff is all over Troy Patton, so I guess okay. my, again my main thing is I do like the lefties that the Blue Jays have, and I, I kind of like their bats.
1: I like uh, Brady. Uh, you I'm know. a
0: big JPR and Sebia guy. I oh, that's the yeah. bottom line there. and I, and I was, okay. you you started that driving that train in the Florida State League where he ranked uh, second in the in the league top twenty. So I, I like Aaron Sebia there quite a bit. I love that one two punch of really impact bats in Snyder and Aaron Sebia, and that's the other thing. The thing with me with the Orioles is as talented as those three pitchers are. I don't see all three of those guys being impact big leaguers. Something's going to happen along the way because they're pitchers. Uh, whereas the, the Jays have a lot of hitters. I, mean, I David Cooper might end up being a DH, but he can hit. He's in, at the very least. I think that was a very good. nice. I, I mean, mean he just D- showed
1: up and hit everywhere. He, went, yeah. he hit the same everywhere he went.
0: That's right. I think he's going to be at the very least a worst-case scenario for him is, is Lyle Overbay, your current Toronto first baseman. I think he'll be a little bit better hitter uh, than Lyle Overbay. So. Again, I like the variety they have, and I like the bats they have. So if we're
1: picking a controversial Blue Jay to stick for a theme, I I would say that the guy who got the most questions, you know, when we got to the chat, you know, and all, was uh, Justin Jackson.
0: Correct. I mean, he he struck out a ton, but I went to Asheville High. I'm going to always represent for the Asheville – even though he didn't go to Asheville High, Robertson High. uh, But, I mean, this is an athletic middle infielder with true actions. Uh, He does have bat potential. He's raw, but he does have – I mean, I I think that he's got – this is a guy you have to be patient with, but I think he has all those middle infield tools. And uh, Alan Matthews always seemed to believe in the Justin and uh, the Justin Jackson bats, so I'm going to take Alan's word for it too.
1: And the thing that also, when you look at, I mean, his stats this year, I mean yeah, he struck out 154 times he in drove 554 at bats. that's the
0: for a high school in that, his first That's school the concern,
1: year. but the thing you have to remember is this is the Midwest League. Yep. When you are thinking Midwest League, think basically run it through like the 1968 Big Leagues filter. I mean, that's what you're (laughs) looking at is that numbers that look bad, and his numbers don't even look good for the Midwest League, but when you consider his age, when you consider middle infielder.
0: I'm pretty positive he's above league average with a 740 OPS. I'm pretty positive he's above league average.
1: It's not as bad as it looks if you just go, wow, he hit 238. Wow, he struck out a lot. That's, you know, and we've seen it. I mean, we've seen, you know, guys, you know, Basically, have what look like mediocre years in the Midwest League, and then they break out. Yeah. Well, doesn't ever hurt the guys. Not in their case, but you know, especially guys who go to Midwest League and then go to the Cal League next year. That's right. That's right. It's got to be like, wow, I'm hitting a course field every day.
0: One thing: Justin Jackson grinded through the season, and you have to grind through it again next year in the Florida State League. And the the, the Jays really throughout their or their system. I don't know how it has been at AAA for them at Syracuse. Now they're not going to be in Syracuse anymore. I guess they're going to Buffalo. No, I forget where their new affiliate's going to be. Um, but uh, the Jays—it's uh, it's not a great hitting environment in the Midwest League, the Florida State League, or the Eastern League for their young hitters. And I, you know, Justin Jackson grinded his way through the Midwest League and, and still was able to drive the ball. So I, I do think Boston and New York are the uh, obviously the ones that are probably the most questions answered uh, asked in every chat we have. Um, let's, let's there, are, there, there are a lot
1: of Yankees and Red Sox fans out there, yeah, and a lot of people who hate the Yankees and Red Sox. That's also shocking. Correct.
0: But, I mean, I think Jim Cowles really did get the most probably reaction of any of our top ten so far by ranking Nick Hagedone uh, third on the Red Sox top ten. That was
1: a gutsy ranking. I mean, you can agree with it or disagree with it. It definitely is one of those that, you know, two years from now, you'll either either say, wow, that was, you know, ahead of his time or, you know. Well, the
0: crazy thing is that Jim, uh, you know, Jim went really young, inexperienced, I guess however you want to put that, with the Red Sox top ten. Nick Hagedone has three Appearances in 2008 at low Class A, and he was a 2007 draft pick. Uh, You know, Casey Kelly did not perform necessarily well. uh, Although he's
1: actually not even playing the uh, – he's not even in the same – he's a hitter now, and we probably won't be when we – you know, he's ranking him really. He's sitting there at number six, not because, you know, of his potential at shortstop, really. Yeah, it's
0: a very unusual player to have to rank. Uh, Ryan Westmoreland, uh, basically almost all tools kind of guy. Michael Almanzar, uh, you know. Uh, Failed at Greenville, old, not even, yeah. Who's, not even 18 years old yet, uh, Latin yeah. American player. Uh, Yamaika Navarro, uh, Yamiko Navarro, I should say. I mean, this is these are really young guys. I mean, he played the whole year at age 20. You, and Stormy Pimentel, 18 years old. It's a, it's a very young top 10 list, and it's really uh, one where Jim went almost all upside as opposed to going for some safer players. And I'll
1: say this, though. Here's the question. Okay, say if you're looking at the Red Sox. I think he went all upside. One of the big reasons was, I mean, they've graduated a lot of players. I mean, let's make it clear here. This right. isn't something where, you know, the Red Sox system is a little down from what it was because, well, you keep Exactly. Because all the 2005
0: draft guys are in the big leagues. Right. Uh, Lowry, but that be Ellsbury, uh, Bard is not in the big leagues. Oh, 06. Uh, I think Masterson was another five draft class. I mean so they 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 have a lot of young big leaguers already making an impact.
1: That being said, okay, say that Jim wanted to go more less upside, more close to the big leagues. Who are those? I mean, counting not counting Daniel Barr, yeah. not counting Lars Anderson, the not counting upper, Josh Riddick, Ritt, Josh who else is there? The other upper level guys he could have gone with are some of the
0: pitchers they had at AA uh Dustin Richardson who's having a really nice Hawaii winter baseball, Chris Johnson, the left-hander out of Wichita State. Uh, who had a pretty nice year, especially the first half of the year at A Portland. So they, they did have some other options. But, I mean, he did actually do that with Michael Bowden. Uh, Michael Bowden, internally, is probably not the Red Sox number two prospect. No. So that was Jim's, I think, uh, hat tip to a little conservative ranking there. Uh, but like you said, they really don't have a lot of other guys close to helping the big leagues other than really Bowden, who who got one start in the big leagues, and Daniel Bard. And, I mean, I think that just tells you Jim's lack of faith in Daniel Bard. He's never been a Daniel Bard believer. And if he had anybody you could rank ahead of Daniel Bard, he did it.
1: Well, yeah. also, you do throw in the fact that you are talking – I mean, let's make it clear, and you know, we try to make it clear every year. We do have a bias – when you're doing top 10s, when we're doing top 30s, we have a bias against relievers. Yeah, and, that's true, too. And the reason we have that bias is, is that if you're not talking about elite closer – Yeah, it's hard to – it's hard to say that, yeah. you know, you're you're ranking a guy, wow, this guy's really good out of the pen. And it's like the reality is, is there are a lot of starters who, if you move them to the pen, immediately become very equivalent to that guy right. that he's doing it in A ball or double A.
0: That said, uh, to me, Daniel Bard's worst case scenario is Kyle Farnsworth. That's a worst case. I mean, a, a big stuff, not enough guts to close. Scenario. I mean, that's that's the shorthand and a little
1: straight, maybe on Farmer's case. You know, a little...
0: his, his fastball can be straight as well for Bard. It, it can, if he elevates it, it definitely straightens out. And the thing is, Daniel Bard's fastball, as hard as he throws it, as much at times life as it has down in the zone, he can still elevate it, and you, you still see sometimes guys run into the bat rack to get the bat, and even if it's 99 miles an hour, you see it. There's not a lot of deception in, in what Daniel Bard does. But when he has the fastball down, and the breaking ball down, he is a shutdown closer. Because what do you want your closer to do? Not walk guys. Uh, he still walked a few too many guys, especially in, do- in Double A. That you want to see strikeouts, groundouts. He's got two of those da- three things down: strikeouts the, and groundouts. The first
1: one's big. The big that's really been the and big, big the problem X-factor. for him. You know,
0: that was the X factor for him as a starter. Uh, as a reliever, he was able to really, I guess, get away with it a little bit more because he got the strikeouts or the groundouts. I still think the guy, frankly, I think I think he should still start. Uh, the arm is just too special. He just has such easy velocity. I'm a Daniel Bard fan because he can get guys out with his fastball whenever he wants to. Um, but command is the is the whole key there. And, I, and he throws hard enough that he doesn't even need command. He needs control. He needs to be able to just put it in the strike zone consistently. And when he's down, he gets strikeouts and groundouts, and it's pretty automatic. I mean, he's he has got uh, the best arm of anybody in these top tens we're talking about outside of David Price. And just in terms of just... Arms, right. pure arm. Right. David Price is the only guy who really, I think rivals him. Is just having a just pure easy velocity. Right.
1: That that's true. And the rest of the package has always been the you know no and, doubt. And no that I mean I'm I'm kind of in between. I'm not you know I'm not the Daniel Bard you know believer yeah. that John is. I'm yeah. not as off of him maybe as Jim is. But
0: I wouldn't say even Jim's off of him. But I think he's he definitely thinks like the best case scenario might be Kyle Farnsworth. Right. Best case he might be a setup guy. Well, but a as really long as good he stays in,
1: as long as he stays in Boston realistically for the next several years that's probably the case barring injury you know.
0: One would assume because it's not like they're looking for a new closer. They
1: have they got a closer and they're pretty happy with him and he seems to be pretty good. But you know okay moving it on to Hagedon Yeah. The uh,
0: Yeah that's what we, we started off talking about.
1: Yeah cuz Bart is controversial in a lot of ways too but but looking at Hagadon the thing that Jim seems to clearly think here is that you know he th- does believe with Hagadon that the worst case scenario is an elite power lefty arm out of the pen. But he really believes that he's going to be more than that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, again, he came out of Washington, uh, the state of Washington, in 2007. So his name, he was kind of a pop-up guy in that draft. Uh, I think if he had been on the scene a little bit earlier, perhaps, uh, he would have gone higher in that draft. You know, I think, I, I seem to recall there was an Oregon State series and maybe even a game that they played uh, at Safeco against Oregon State, where uh, Nick Hagadone really vaulted up high, but there weren't—he just wasn't as easy of a guy to cross-check and for scouting directors to go run in and see. Um, and that—that was that a reason that that can be a reason why you go 55th overall or whatever he went, uh, 55th overall. You just don't have the right guy see him at the right time. I mean, you hear about that all the time where team like, yeah, we like that guy. We could have taken him in the first round, but our scouting record didn't see him. So he couldn't take him in the first round. And that might have been what happened with Nick Hagadorn, because stuff-wise, he was not the 55th best player in the 2007 draft. So I think a lot of it was exposure. And I think mean, the Red Sox just saw premium stuff as a starter sitting in the mid-'90s with a fastball and showing a real power-breaking ball. and That's what you heard out of out of the bullpen. So if he was doing that as a starter, I can see why you would get really excited and think he's right. really got a chance to be – Uh, special, uh, uh, overused word, but special.
1: The one thing I would say, like the argument against it, I'll, you know, play the devil's advocate here is, is that ranking a guy who's not coming off of, as in he had TJ two years ago. And this year he showed he's back ranking a guy who is, we're, you know, yeah, he's throwing off the mound. Yeah. You know, but he has yet to face hitters. He's yet to show that he can, you know, that his velo's, you know, all the way back. He's yet to show that he can spin off the breaking ball again. He believes in it. He doesn't feel like his elbow's going to blow up. Exactly. All those things. Absolutely. That's hard to rank number three for all those reasons. I mean, yes, Tommy John surgery is something that now many more guys come back from it than don't. Right. That being said, there still, still are guys who you go, wow, that guy was really good. And then he never got it back after TJ.
0: And you talked about it, uh, again, off air. I mean, the Rays have a guy in Jake McGee who has a pretty similar profile to Nick Hageddon.
1: as far, it's, I mean, and it's, it's higher up the ladder in that the one thing you could argue for McGee is... But Power Lefty, who's had yeah. like Tommy John surgery. Power Lefty, who's, coming, you know, who's just had Tommy John surgery. The argument, if you wanted to make an argument for McGee, the argument would be, he doesn't have as much... De- he still has development needs to do, but... That year that he's lost, you know, of development is something where he's lo- lost it already. Being at Double
0: A, he's had so much more professional experience than Nick Hagedon. It's not even close. And I say.
1: think age-wise, you're you're looking at there's really not they're the same age. You know, they're yeah, they're basically uh, McGee is about nine eight months younger. Yeah, yeah. You know, so and McGee
0: is nine and one in the, in the in the Rays organization, and, and Hagedon is three. And their
1: profiles are very similar in that you both, you know, I think Hagedon there's a little bit, you know. Thought you know maybe his, you know he may he may have a better chance of being a starter right. than McGee,
0: which is kind of ironic. He was a college reliever and McGee has been a starter all the way all around. The but matters. that
1: being said, I mean McGee the same story that I mean the worst case scenario probably for McGee if his arm comes back, if his command comes back, right? Right. The worst case scenario is nasty power arm out of the pen.
0: Yeah, absolutely, a Billy Wagner type of guy potentially. So it's the Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel. He is JJ Cooper. Um, I guess and we can on, finish with the and Yankees. And on we go to the Yankees. Which, uh, is you know, the, John
1: the one that John did?
0: Well, the thing is the Yankees, actually, their farm system is a little bit similar. Uh, their top ten, I should say, is a little bit similar to the Orioles, uh, J.J., in that they've got a really strong top four or five. It's top heavy. Um, you know, Austin Jackson, I think, has got a chance to be a, a really solid big leaguer. He may not be a star. I think he's kind of going to be a, a, a similar to uh, Bernie Williams. Not as offensive as Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams had 30 home runs one year, a lot of 20, 25 seasons. I think Austin Jackson might be more of 15 to 20. But like Bernie Williams, have a lot of ability in a lot of areas. And he'll probably be a better defender than Bernie Williams. Certainly a better throwing arm. Yeah, better arm. Um, I don't know if he's what kind of guitarist he is, but certainly a better basketball player than Bernie. Um, not as good of a of nickname. Uh, hard, to get, hard to beat Burn, baby Burn. But uh, I think Austin Jackson's got a chance to be a championship caliber first division center fielder. I don't. There's a chance five years from now you're going to look at a guy who just a completely well rounded player who really doesn't have a striking a glaring and, weakness.
1: And the thing about it is, is I think some people, you know, like but but Austin Jackson number one, and I think the reason for that is, is a lot of it is he's not a guy though that you if you're a Yankees fan, he's not like. It's not as easy to get so ex- as excited about Austin right. Jackson as it is about Jesus Montero. He's
0: and he's also not who people think he is because you see a guy who turned down an a ACC basketball scholarship and you think there's just to be like a raw, toolsy, like Tory Hunter kind of guy maybe or uh you know Aaron Hicks kind of guy The yeah. Twins uh, uh the, the new the new Tory Hunter in the twin system so I'm doing the Twins. Uh, but that's just not Austin Jackson. He is athletic and his athleticism does play but he's just not 70s or 65. But he's tools. Also, he's 55s and 60s, and he just uh, he does do a lot of
1: different things. He's 55s and 60s. But and he's not is, exceptional. I and he's say. 55s and 60s. You know, across generally yeah. or pretty much across the board. Yeah, I'd
0: say the, the the power is probably like a 50, 45, 50 tool future power. Yeah, 15 15 home runs, maybe 20 in the best Montero years. Whereas Montero
1: is a guy who has potentially maybe, the 80. You yeah, know?
0: 80 raw power. Maybe it's a 60 hit. <laughs> and he has those two tools in spades. The real question is where will it end up uh, playing? Will he wind up behind the plate? And the Yankees may not need him behind the plate because of Austin Romine. Maybe Francisco Cervelli, who didn't make the top 10. I'm not a huge believer in Cervelli's bat. But Montero offensively has the highest upside just in terms of just hit, tool, and power. Uh, not just in, this uh, very, farm system, but in, the, in the top 15, 20 in the minor leagues, maybe in the top 10 in the minor leagues, and you combine the hit tool and the power, you do have to think the fact that this is a big guy. He's listed as 6'4", 225. He's going to slow down, and right. eventually he's in a probably a but guy who hits what? into some double plays and, and doesn't get a lot of infield hits. So then maybe the batting average is up at 280 instead of at 320.
1: Right. You, you, but you're talking about basically if you're dreaming on him, the reality is, is okay, say he's not going to be a catcher. What you're dreaming on is, is that he's going to be that – big bat slugger in the middle of the lineup, whether yeah. he's a first, you know, probably a first baseman, you know, and you go, okay, you know, it's okay. Like a Paul
0: Konerko almost type. Yeah. Maybe a little bit better than that. I mean, Paul Konerko hit 40 home runs a few years. Right. I mean, yeah, Paul Konerko was, I mean, hey, I mean there's uh, actually a very, very similar profiles out. too. You know, that's I mean, I it was, You know,
1: basically catcher coming up who's like, well, you know, I mean, can he, you know.
0: Right. And, and you know, and Paul Konerko hit his way to being a, a really good big leaguer. And that that's actually kind of like in my own head – yeah, you know, sweet right-handed swing coming up was always lauded as a guy who could really hit for average and became a real slugger. I kind of think that right. Jesus Montero might be but that kind of guy.
1: The, to me, the controversial pick that you, you know, of your top ten, though, the one that seemed to get a lot of controversy was Phil Coke.
0: Yeah, it was actually the guys who were on the – I, I put a couple more conservative type of guys in there as opposed to Jim. I didn't put in a guy like, say, a Jairo Haradia or uh, some of the younger, uh, you know, really young guys the Yankees have. Uh, I went for a couple guys who are big league ready, and you know, Alfredo Aceves and Phil Coke. And actually, much to my chagrin, because when you put those guys in, to go to three levels, four levels, you have less. You to can't write. write a whole lot in the issue. Right you know? in the issue. So Alfredo Aceves and Phil Coke at seven and eight, but. Uh, with Mark Melanson at nine, that was basically the thing. It was like, how can you have Melanson behind those two guys? And the answer is easy. I had talked to two scouts who saw all three of those guys at Double A Trenton and asked them both, both guys outside the Yankees organization, how would you line them up? And they both lined them up: Aceves, Coke, Melanson. So it was pretty easy. I did not go into that. Hey, the first draft I had of this, Mark Melanson was five or six. Uh, he just so kept on falling. You know, what, what... I think the main reason is that he's a guy coming off Tommy John surgery, JJ, and. He showed durability this year. He showed that he did have most of his stuff back, but he didn't have great command. He certainly did have command. He didn't have as good a control. Yeah, he didn't walk a lot of guys. He had the stuff where he was able to challenge some hitters, but he didn't. He didn't finish off everybody in a a situation where you're looking for a strikeout. He couldn't always go out there and get the strikeout. The breaking ball wasn't as sharp as it had been previously. The fastball did not have the velocity. And, again, one of the scouts I talked to had the the good fortune of having seen him as an amateur as well. So I've always been a Mark Melanson believer. I ranked him the last two years in the Yankees system when he had 11 innings pitched or seven innings pitched or whatever it was with the Tommy John surgery impending and everything. Um, And I've always heard people talk about the great makeup. We still have him at number nine, but Aceves is a guy who, depending on what they do in big league free agency, he could be in their big league rotation in 2009 as a number four or five starter. I mean, again, depends on what goes on outside, but they have a lot of confidence in Alfredo Aceves, and basically talk about him as a better version of Ian Kennedy. That means he should be held in some high esteem for me. Uh, he's 26. He's, he's close to the big leagues. Yeah, I obviously already pitched there. I think at the very least he's in the Yankee bullpen as a middle reliever next year. And only Phil Koch's the same thing. I think Aceves is more polished, better chance to start. Coke has been so much better out of the bullpen. I think he's a better chance to be a – more likely to be a big league reliever. But they talk about Phil Coke, and, again, scouts outside the organization. I had a guy who saw him in Yankee Stadium and, and – Maybe it's a little dangerous to overdo an evaluation in September, but he talked about this as an eighth-inning guy, a, a championship-caliber setup man, a left-hander who can get lefties and righties out because of the power in his fastball, 95-96, and, and, a, and a slider that kind of fringe average or average as a starter that became a plus pitch out of the bullpen. So uh, those two guys, you line up Coke and Melanson, and Koch has more experience, certainly, But how many guys are really minor league middle relievers or middle league uh, minor league middle relievers or closers and become big league closers? That list is short. How many guys in the big leagues who are closers now were starters in the minor leagues? A lot, a lot more. And Phil Koch almost fits that that uh, template for me. It wouldn't be a shock for me if he wound up as the Yankees closer. I don't don't ever see the Yankees not in 2009. I mean, long range, Uh, they are going to eventually need a replacement for Mariano Rivera. And if you're a lefty throwing 96 with a power slider, maybe you're that guy. So uh, we'll see. But, again, that was – I haven't seen the Seves or Koch or Melanson, but the scouting reports really surprised me because coming in I had Melanson ahead of well, both those guys.
1: And one thing just, you know, as we, as we wrap up, I kind of hope when we do our top tens, there should be some picks in these that are controversial because right. one of the things, you know, that we're doing is – I mean, we see it every year. When we're doing, you know, as we're putting together these lists, you know, we're working on Royals and Reds. You're working on Yankees and Twins, you know, and Phillies. And Phillies. One of the things as you're doing this, that one of the things that's fun about it is conventional wisdom that that you know that we have from right. the calls that we've done, from everything that we've you know seen and all and heard. You expect going in kind of right. There always are guys who you know that conventional wisdom gets turned upside down, and that's i mean that's really what's fun for me i mean that's to me that's one of it. the fun things about doing this is is that i want when i put together a list there should be someone on it who i'm able to put higher or i'm lo- putting lower than you know than what the conventional wisdom is out there because you know what i've talked to three or four guys who all right. saw him and it's like you know what this year it all clicked and his velo went up for you know 3 miles an hour and he's got a you know and, and you see those guys. I mean, like, who come, guys come out of nowhere or guys, you know, last year I thought this guy was a number two, number three starter. If his stuff doesn't come back, he's not going to be anything more than a middle reliever. You and see that, that. And
0: that. And that also happens more, and you and I both have, have experienced this. I've switched a lot of organizations, but now this is the fifth year I think I've done the Yankees, and it's the third year I've done the Twins. The Phillies are new to me. But you're in your, what, third or fourth year doing the Reds? So I think your, number
1: four or five. I can't remember. But
0: it's your first year doing the Royals, and it is so interesting when you have guys who've been on your list for several years, you end up digging a little bit deeper, trying to find new information. It's it's hard sometimes to comb through what information really matters and what doesn't. You don't want to have prospect fatigue, that kind of stuff. But uh,
1: but no, it it's a great example. Like you know, okay, like I do the Reds. Yeah. And Chris Dickerson was one of those guys yeah. who has sat there on the back end of the list for every year that I've done them because you could dream on them. Right. And you say, if everything works out... But he was like
0: 26 and raw coming into this year, right. basically. Or 26 and raw.
1: Yeah, and, and raw, and he's, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, in uh, 2002, 2003 drafty, Something like that. From Nevada. Right. And this year, I mean, now, hey, you know, there's still a question. He still qualifies for the list. And I yeah. still don't know where to rank him, but... You see those guys, it's like every year, and, you know, the scouting reports change a little every year. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see him as it's like, wow, that guy had a great 100 at-bats in the big leagues. And that doesn't mean that he's going to be right. a star or anything, but it's like...
0: Or Bradley Subtle for the Yankees to go back to the finish with the American League yeah. East. I mean, I did not rank him in the top 30 last year. He was a high draft pick as far as a uh, high, high bonus, uh, six figure seven-figure bonus as a sophomore eligible out of Texas. Uh, we ranked him as one of the top hitters in the draft going into the year. And he goes to Hawaii Winter Baseball and was just atrocious last year. I mean, I taught the two scouts who saw him out there, and they just were both so unimpressed with his hitting approach, everything. I thought the guy was completely lost, completely crushed confidence-wise. I didn't even rank him in the top 30, and Damon Oppenheimer, the Yankee scout director, told me, you're going to eat crow on, Dan- on, on Bradley Suttle. And the guy came out this year, and not only was he better defensively than most people thought he would be, uh, which was the case in Hawaii last year, but he made adjustments with the bat. And uh, there are people in the South Atlantic League who actually liked him better than Jesus Montero, if you can believe that. So that Yankee, the, the Yankee system had a lot of talent at Charleston this year. So both the Yankees and the Red Sox, I think, still have a lot of ta- talent in the farm system. It's just at the lower levels. Whereas the thing that Tampa, to a lesser extent, Toronto – well, actually, t- Tampa, Toronto, and Baltimore, Baltimore. all do all have, have some double-A and above talent. Uh Baltimore's pretty much double-A, but – double-A and above talent that can help them in 2009-2010 whereas the Yankees and the Red Sox to me are really more reloading. But and the thing with that is is
1: that it's different for the Yankees. In the Red Sox case, that's okay for them. That's exactly right. They don't need to reload for 2000, you know, they basically are going to go out there there's a couple of positions, you know, we've got what's going to happen at catcher, right. you know, and other things, but
0: And the and the bottom line is Tampa and Boston's big league young guys came through in 08 and the Yankees didn't. And that's why those two teams made the playoffs and the Yankees didn't. You can oversimplify. I know that's oversimplifying a little bit, but if Melky Cabrera, Robbie Cano, uh, Phil Hughes, Ian Kennedy come through as well as, uh, the Evan Longorias, uh, in Tampa and, uh, Andy San Estines, and then, uh, Jed Lowry and Justin Masterson, uh, for the Red Sox, Johnny Lester, uh, then, then you might you know, either Tampa or Boston might've been sitting at home in the playoffs, not the Yankees. So, uh, the American league is a ton to talk about, but, uh, I hope we covered it, and uh, we'll be back with the American League Central on the next edition of the Baseball America podcast. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Until next time, so long, everybody.